It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Yeah, bouncy, bouncy, bouncy. Welcome, 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 welcome. I, I, yeah, I've got no place. I've got no, no room here to do, to do my John Oliver. Oh man! Just do it in the air. Oh, that's a. <laughs> if I did it on the computer, wait, I can do it on the computer, and the whole thing will shake. Uh, it's earthquake time. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't well, try that's that, it, folks. We're done. So we're we're doing our John Oliver impression, and I've got my Conan O'Brien hair, and uh, everything's go- good to go here. So I haven't uh, seen John Oliver in so many years. It's... Oh yeah, but you know, I now just what happens is it often uh, if if you get uh, what is it the the Square Chicago uh, um, what's the uh, come on the uh, not Red Square but it, a little Red Square shows up that 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 is that. Um, aggregator of news stories not block club but uh, a public square is that what yeah, it's called? that one yeah <laughs> yeah that one i can't what? think of the guy's name um john somebody the oh, editor on is that it one. is yeah. it one really i don't know his name i just know uh, yeah. chicago yeah. public he's, square he's, chicago, yeah, public chicago public square is um i cannot think of his name i was actually on a webinar with him and monica ang a few weeks ago where they were talking about online chicago journalism oh really wow how did um, i miss that why didn't i get an invite to that because it's because i'm not know. a journalist i guess i don't know <laughs> um, you weren't on the list. i don't know I, I was i i see it's just i'm not a cool kid i wasn't a cool kid in high school and i'm not a cool kid now either i guess so there you go ah well but, as as skeet is saying good morning a little chilly yes you think yes, skeet 20, come on it dude. was 20 degrees and a wind chill of Eight, happy March twenty seventh. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. phenology alert uh, because we were talking phenology. I realized I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I did an edit of that show for the podcast and for a couple of radio stations that we send this to, and uh, um, we never did spell phenology. And I'm sure a lot of people are, are you know, we're looking it up. F E at no, it's P H. No, that would be about fens. This is not about fens and bogs. Right. P H E N O L O G Y. Phenology. Phenology. However you want to pronounce it. But we've got a phenology alert today because I was uh, noting, I looked uh, on my phone 
And there's a photo from my cornice mass in bloom last year. You want to know the date that it's in full bloom? March 27th, and um, th- which is today. And mm-hmm. this year, it's just starting to bloom. So in terms of phenology, it's a little slower uh, than it was uh, last year. We've got a great program for you today, uh, despite the fact that it is um, a million degrees below zero outside. No, it just feels cold. Uh, our buddy Bob Benenson is is here, and uh, we're going to be talking about local food forum, meaning uh, what's going on in the world, in uh, farmer's markets, and that sort of thing. My trilliums are starting to come up. Right, and there's all kinds of stuff coming up. It's just cold. I have put uh, my emergency hoop houses over some of my veggies that were put outside. Um, I think they're going to be okay. Heck, if I could get my parsley to survive the whole winter under one of those little things, mm-hmm. I think I think some of the veggies can uh, survive a couple of days. Yeah, oh, um, they'll be fine. I, and when I say hoop houses, I mean the, uh, you know... This is the way I operate, folks. Here's what you need to know. I'm not going to go and get the thing that you're supposed to get at uh, uh, Gardener Supply. No, 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 no. I'm going to buy one of those. Or, or we, I've already got. It's what What do I have in the house? You know, it's a plastic yeah, bin. Um, milk, milk crates. Uh, pl- well, pl- <laughs> there's no. There's holes in milk crates. So, but, but yeah, a plastic. Then you put plastic. That t- it's too much work. All right. I'm already that you've added another step. Don't add another step to it. Um, it's a matter of taking a plastic bin that you had some clothes in. You take the clothes out. You take the plastic bin outside. You put it upside down on your plant. There's your hoop house. And uh, leave the clothes on the floor. And Exactly. That's how it works. I do have one note with Bob coming on. Yeah. You were talking about Facebook memories. So my Facebook memories that came up yesterday from Good Food Expo, six years ago, 2016, the remote broadcast of the Mike Novak Show. I believe that was the first time I was helping you with on-air broadcasting. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I was I, I was uh, reminiscing about the Good Food Expo myself because uh, this past week was the third anniversary of the last one. And uh, yeah. my Facebook memory yesterday was uh, Jim Slama, the founder of Family Farm and now the managing director of Naturally Chicago, for which I contract. And uh, it was him with uh, somebody uh, costumed as the Easter Bunny in 2016. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. I have a photo so, of me so, standing there with the Easter Bunny, yes. Yeah, so, so you know, um, it, I, it, it was an interesting experience. Um, we were always doing a monstrous uh, production with uh, not enough people. And uh, that came, kind of came to a head in uh, 2019. But uh, there's no way that I would have had the context and the connections that I developed very quickly after moving to Chicago 10 mm-hmm. years ago and deciding to change careers and follow my passion, you know, for, for good food um, if, if it weren't, weren't for the expo. So, well, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you should. And, uh, and I know being on the inside is, is a very different story. But being on the outside, this I, we have to refer it, refer to it as the late great. Anything that that goes away like that, sure. I know the late great food expo because uh, uh, it, those of us who would attend it and be part of it and and didn't actually have to put it together really enjoyed it. And there was so much mm-hmm. energy in the room, um, and oh. thou, you know hundreds and sometimes thousands of people there. Um, 
and I saw it develop from the days back yeah. uh, when it was at Navy Pier and other places oh, the cultural and the culture cultural center. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, and uh, you know uh, what I do, and I'm sure a lot of other people do this, uh, is when you're part of a big event, you kind of uh, just take a second and step back and just take it all in. And frankly, even though I was part of it, it was amazing that so few people were able to pull off such, uh, yeah. an event that had so many moving parts. It, it was it was quite an achievement. Yeah. So uh, yeah. here, we're just here's... looking at the comments coming in from people. All these remembering it fondly, loving the presentations, loving the yeah. 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 So uh, uh, there are other people who who miss the the good food expo, but you know things. We don't have a Chicago Flower and Garden show anymore uh, either. Um, and, and for a while, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, Tony Abruscato, who, who ran the flower and garden show for the last number of years, um, actually said on our show, I want to think two years ago, he, he basically said, yeah, it's, it's dead. Um, and so at least for now, yeah, 2019 was the last one. There was one for 2020 and he had to make the really difficult decision as the pandemic started to cancel it. And, and uh, you know, and it's so hard and you have to plan so far in advance as you had to with the, uh, the Good Food Expo. Uh, it was, uh, but in terms of uh, the flower show, you're planning event and you're, you're getting growers to produce flowers that'll bloom uh, in, in March, uh, which means they're working a year ahead of time to do those schedules. And it, you have to know whether you're going to go with it. And so Tony just said, hey, there's too much uncertainty right now, and I cannot move forward with this. Um, and, uh, and so... Yeah, the contract it... with Navy Pier, that alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, if we had to um, terminate the expo, uh, the timing was perfect because it was always at the end of March. And so if we had gone ahead with it and done all this planning with all the expense, all the uh, work hours involved, and then had to cancel it in March of 2020 yeah. because of COVID, it would have been an absolute catastrophe. Well, and the other thing that you, you mentioned, the timing of it, uh, being who I am and the kind of show I do, I cover both. All right. And yep. what I would and often they would be on the same weekend. And I would say, mm-hmm. to you know, I tried to get Tony and Jim Slama together, and I said, can you guys work out a deal where you can support each other's uh, shows so that I can cover both of them? And people know, Because there's the foodies, and then there are the yeah. gardeners, but there's a lot of overlap yeah. in that, and they wanted to go yeah. to both yeah. shows. I the remember there was the... the uh, well, yeah. no, it's not just the overlap is edible flowers. No, the and, overlap and is growing vegetables. And cooking and, yeah. 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 So, but yeah, there, there was that one weekend where we had the Saturday morning radio show. Remember, we ran down to Good Food. We went back, did the show, went back to Good Food, and then we did Flower and Garden on Sunday for a live broadcast. Right. That was nuts. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, that was when we were doing shows on Saturday and Sunday. Oh, my God. Um, stick a fork in me. I'm done with that. Uh, so uh, so here we are, Bob. It It is... Um, it is uh, March 27th. It's like zero degrees. It's not. It's it's 20 degrees outside, but it's pretty cold. We got, as Peggy said, a wind chill of about eight. And yet next, well, wait, wait, before we go to what's happening next week, I just have to say happy spring. 
Good to see you. What is the what has the winter been like? I've I've been getting uh folks need to go to localfoodforum.substack.com. You need to subscribe. You'll be kept up uh, on all the thing foodie things that are going on in the Chicago area and then some. Um, and one of the things I noticed, Bob, is that the winter didn't slow you down at all. There was something going on all the time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, uh, when I started Local Food Forum almost exactly a year ago, um, uh, it was predicated on the idea that uh, there's a whole broad expanse of issues involved with uh, the local food system. Uh, farmers, farmers markets, uh, grocery stores, farm to table restaurants, of course, but big issues like food access, food equity for people in underserved communities, global climate change, regenerative agriculture, all of that. So there was never going to be a shortage of, uh, of material. And these are issues that go on all year. Plus, you know, farmers and farmers markets are spending the whole weekend planning for the next year. So, um, you know, they're, they're, it's been nonstop. Uh, and, and no reason to stop because, uh, you, know, you know, when I engage in this and I have been a family farmer for seven years and doing uh, quite a bit of writing, and I always wondered why nobody tried to do this kind of thing because there's so much material out there. <laughs> because it's and so decided, hard, Bob, because it's so difficult. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is challenging. But um, I, when I decided to cycle out of uh, Family Farm last, uh, last winter, uh, early spring, um, I, would, I saw the same opening. I saw the same void. And a community that's doing so much good work and uh, but uh, to a great extent, everybody's working in their own silo. The farmers are doing their farmers things, markets, the the chefs, uh, the, the uh, uh, issue advocates. And there was really no one publishing platform that was pulling it all together. So I jumped in there and uh, it's it's certainly our artistic success so far. And, uh, and we've gotten uh, a lot of subscribers. I, I, I wish more of, the, more of them were paid, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, it's also uh, been a, it turned out to be a great door opener because a lot of people that I had, you know, occasional acquaintances with uh, when I was working uh, for Family Farm, people in other nonprofits, farmers, you know, uh, farmers markets all networks, now saw me as somebody who was, was providing them with a platform, twenty four seven three sixty five, uh, to um, uh, to protect their issues. So. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually gotten quite a bit of contract work. <laughs> I know that's that's the, the the downside or the upside, depending on how you look at it, is that you've gotten a lot of work out of it because people notice what you're doing and say, hey, that's a guy we could use. Uh, the problem is it gets in the way of your day job, which is local food forum. Um, but that's OK. You know, it's it, it, there's always room for more work unless it kills you. So, um, yeah, for, for, fortunately, I do write and produce that newsletter fast um and uh yeah i'm i'm, I'm a hard-working old hippie looking guy yeah you know i want you to write my blog for me because my blog post kills me and i only do it once a week and um and i just want it out of the way i don't it as much as writing is a good thing and i think it's important you know and i i've talked about this before but i i don't know how you do it oh and, and i want to let people know they can if they they can subscribe for free to uh local food forum and, but um, it would be better if they subscribe for 
Sign but up. The, the point I'm going to make is that you can subscribe and what and read it for a little bit, and then if you go, hey, this is something I, I'm actually reading when it comes into my mm-hmm. inbox, then get a subs- paid subscription and and help Bob yep. out. That's how that works. Yeah, it all it, it, it works both ways. Obviously, I like and need money. Everybody does, <laughs> but uh, the whole idea here is to build a, a big community. It's almost a, a, like a community resource. Even the people subscribe for free. It's getting the word out there. It's enabling me to inform more people about what's going on in the local food scene. And so, you know, there, there's no short shortcoming there too. I'll I'll take subscribers. Anyway, they come in. It's I, I and I yes. thoroughly appreciate the generous people who have uh, gotten paid subscriptions as well. Well, and and that seems to be the model now. One of the things I've noticed is that there are a lot of writers as as news operations fall apart, um, they they suffer from entropy, and um, more and more reporters are going out on their own and they're starting their own blogs. Um, not that we haven't had blogs before, but it's kind of different now. There's like um, news blog in, 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 you know, 15 years ago, a blog was a novelty and it was, oh, gosh, I'll tell you what I'm thinking today. And now they're going out and actually doing reporting on, yeah. on blogs. And a lot of these mm-hmm. uh, blogs will say, hey, you can get, sign on for free. If you like what you see, please subscribe and help keep yeah. me going. And I've noticed that mm-hmm. that's a very popular trend. Yeah. And yeah, I think um, Patreon's probably helped too on that. Sorry, Patreon Bob. has Medium has helped. Uh, Substack is the platform that I'm on, and yeah, uh, until two or three years ago, there really weren't these kind of publishing platforms where you could just do a news or do your own thing. Nobody said it in you. Nobody's uh, uh, giving you instruction. I, mean, I like the joke that I've always been my own favorite boss, but uh, you know, you guys uh, uh, are, are doing your own thing too, and. Um, there's there's a, a, a real liberty. There's a real um, energy that comes from being able to decide what you're going to do and just do it. So yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 uh, believe me, the the market, the, the subscribers will tell you if you've gone off the rails uh, in some way. And so far, that hasn't happened. I've, one of my <sighs> proudest things is that I've got a whole yeah. lot of subscribers and literally a handful of people have unsubscribed. And uh, when when I started. Uh, you know, people were said, "Oh, don't publish as often. You'll burn people out. They'll be spam." And I listened to them, but I also knew how much material there was out there. So as long as you keep it fresh, as long as you're writing about different subjects all the time, coloring it up with photographs and uh, and, and other graphics, uh, obviously there's an audience. But it's true across the food spectrum. If you look at your recipe blogs, I mean, I get Epicurious like six times a day. But do be careful, but do be careful because I have, I subscribe to at least two blogs where the, the writers have already said, Hey, I hit burnout. I'm going to be backing off uh, on this for a while. You actually did a little bit of that. So I, that make it three. Um, I mean, you're, you're still figuring out what you can do and, and how you can survive this. Yeah. It took a little while. And I did have a, a, a period in October where I kind of hit the wall um, to figure out how to balance the newsletter and all the other work that was starting to come in. So that happens. But now I, I, I think I've, uh, I've level set 
and um, and it's all good. All right. Well, let's go very quickly because we uh, let's let's wit, let's do the the lightning round here. Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of things going up. It starts with Green City Market. Um, yes, it's twenty degrees and a wind chill of eight, and yet they are opening the the Green City Farmers Market next Saturday, April second. What is that all about, Bob? That is a bold move. And uh, I've been checking the uh, advanced weather forecast every day. Right now it says it's not going to rain or snow, but it is going to be in the low 40s. As you know, this being Chicago, that will change at least six times before next, right. uh, next Saturday. But, um, you know, it, it to, to one extent, uh, they've already had a season extension uh, experiment at the other end of the calendar. Um, in 2020, the season started late because of COVID. And... They, because of COVID, they knew they weren't going to be able to do an indoor market uh, at the Peggy Notabart Nature, Nature Center, uh, uh, Museum, as, as they always had. So they decided to extend their outdoor season to around Thanksgiving in late November. Now, of course, that takes a risk. It could be darn cold in November. It could even snow in November. But it seemed to work out well enough. And last year, when the season started on time in May, they did the same thing, extended to Thanksgiving. And so they just thought, Okay, we're not going to do an indoor market again this year. Let's consider opening early. Let's think about moving it into April. It's not going to be that different or that any worse uh, weather-wise than moving it into November. And so that's what they're doing. But there's uh, uh, more to this. And, uh, you know, Mike and I uh, had a a pre-discussion about this the other day, that we're going to see what the impact of a couple of phenomena are in terms Mm -hmm. of how we define the growing season here in the, the Chicago region. One is global climate change. I just saw a report yesterday that there are plants that are now emerging a month ahead of of when they did, I think it was a century ago. But uh, that's an indication that uh, we're, and and the USDA says, you know, what used to be the St. Louis climate zone is now the Chicago climate zone. And um, the season could very well be starting early. So the things that we really look for, and we used to, Cherish going to the market on the first of May and finding that first asparagus from Michigan, and finding the ramps, you know, the wild ramps in the market and rhubarb mm-hmm. and uh, some of the early plants. Maybe they'll be in in early April. The other thing is, farmers themselves are practicing season extension to a much greater extent. They're building hoop houses. They're building other indoor growing facilities. They're overwintering plants like kale and you know, the leafy greens that actually thrive from being in the ground during the winter. Yeah. And so, unlike a few years ago, before farmers were really getting into, you know, seeing his extension, I think that when we go to the market next week, we're going to be surprised to see how many different varieties of, of, of vegetables are available. Um, you know, what, one of the things that I really noticed last year was the incredible uh, improvement in the quality of heirloom variety hoop house or hothouse tomatoes. I mean, I grew up on hothouse tomatoes growing up. You know those little hard balls and the uh, that were almost orange yeah. and the little yeah, the, the, the or, orange orange cardboard, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so I was skeptical, and then I started buying these things, and they were virtually the quality of uh, summer field tomatoes. Yeah. Um, you're starting to see a lot of a lot of greens. You see those overwintered vegetables, but also some of the you know more innovative um, indoor growers are growing beets, they're growing root vegetables, and they're appearing on their uh, market tables in uh, late yeah, April, herbs. early May. So it's, it's really a, a, a major change 
in how we view food. And it's important because the farmers, you know, uh, 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 May to October growing season was always very tight. You have a few rainy weeks and you're just not doing as well as you should. So yeah. now that they're yeah. all fruitless. Um And uh, I want to mention. It's kind of turn seasonal eating on its ear, though. Yeah, it will. It definitely will. And, that, and that's a good thing because instead of getting Sorry, your. Yeah, instead of getting your. Um, your, your beets and your lettuce and your um, uh, uh, herbs from California or Texas or something like that. There'll be more of a year where we can get them right, right here from home. And it's all about local food. And I want to make sure the folks know when it's open. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Green City Market in Lincoln Park will be every Saturday in April from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Boy, 8 a.m. is going to be very chilly. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then Wednesday... In uh, Saturday, May through October, from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m., uh, then they also have one in the West Loop, uh, which will operate every Saturday, May through October. From a, that doesn't open till May, so if you want to get uh, in on the early action, you have to go to Lincoln Park. Uh, but the one in the West Loop will operate May through October, from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Mary Bartlemy. How do you pronounce that? Is that how Bartle Bartlemy Park? Yeah, um, yeah, and 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 you, uh, that you made a very important uh, point, Mike, for for the listeners. You know, if you're used to you know, being want to be the first in line at seven o'clock, get an extra hour of sleep. You can make up for uh, daylight savings time that hour of sleep you lost, and uh, and show up at eight next week. Uh, the other thing is the West Loop Market is also a month earlier than usual because previously it was May first of May for um, Lincoln Park, and then early June. Yeah. Ah. They push that up altogether too, so it'll be great for vendors and 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 you know it's we'll really see which farmers are taking full advantage of the opportunities provided by what we were discussing. Well, and it'll see be interesting to see which consumers are taking advantage of the opportunities because there's some people that are itching to get out to a farmers market. Now here's your opportunity. Uh, For a long time, uh, we just rode the bus. Uh, Armitage bus straight yeah. across to the, the market and you know, had a couple of carry bags and, you know, try not to buy too much if you're going to go back on the bus. All right. Uh, I want to get to the fundraiser for Ukraine, which was a very cool event. And, Tell us about that. And we uh, do before we get rid before Bob hang well at the end, there is that hanging question out there about Bob's hair, but let's talk about the fundraiser first. Oh, oh Okay. <laughs> You put it in the blog, oh, Mike. Okay. We're having a hair <laughs> off here, but I'm going to win. I'm yes. telling you, I will win. Yeah. I will absolutely. I went to ground two years ago, and I just, just let it go, and I decided I liked it. That uh, suits my new lifestyle here. Yep, um, same. But the Chicago, Chicago chefs uh, cook for Ukraine. It was really one of the most amazing events that I've ever attended. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that mm-hmm. uh, I was able, able to attend and, and cover it for Local Food Forum. Um, if this was your typical event that took two or three months to produce, uh, it still would have been amazing because they had 72 chefs, biggest uh, some of the biggest names in Chicago, uh, great restaurants, um, amazing food, amazing drink, amazing desserts. And, um, uh, it, it, you know, we were talking about the expo before. It's the kind of show that needs, like, months of planning. The yeah. people who were involved in this put this, on, put this together in two weeks. 
and just shows the power of this community and how it can come together and galvanize over the big things uh, uh, very quickly. Uh, Chefs uh, Tony Priolo, well, Tony Priolo of Piccolo Sonio, which is in West Town, um, came up with the idea. Quickly uh, uh, recruited uh, Sarah Stegner of uh, mm-hmm. Prairie Grass Cafe, Prairie Grass. and uh, she's a founding board member and still a board member of Green City Market. And she recruited two um, uh, uh, daring guests, who's a current uh, a Green City board member, and Ed, uh, David Ben, who's a former board member, and they pulled this all together. They got assistance from some of our more engaged activist chefs in, in, in pulling this all together. And it was so inspirational. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that most Americans, just their hearts are broken over what's going on in Ukraine. It's a horrendous tra- tragedy. Um, to be able to support it in some way by helping to promote it in an event, uh, the, the event uh, uh, aggregated more than a half a million dollars. So again, this is something that came together in two weeks. Wow. For, uh, brought in, uh, more than half a million dollars in proceeds for Chef Jose Andres um, uh, World uh, Central Kitchen, uh, which for several years now has been racing to disaster areas, you know, places that have terrible hurricanes and yeah. tornadoes, or mm-hmm. places with, uh, you know, uh, uh, danger zones like uh, Eastern, Eastern Europe. And so far, I just read on their site yesterday, they provided 3.5 million meals to healthy, nutritious meals to people who are absolutely desperate, people who are in Ukraine uh, but are suffering from uh, supply line uh, uh, challenges, refugees who have fled to uh, neighboring Eastern European countries. Um, I, I would like at, uh, at this on this show to nominate Jose Andres for Nobel Peace Prize because he's just <laughs> okay. one of the most amazing individuals in, in, in the world, what he has done and the sacrifice and risks that he and his and the people uh, associated with World mm-hmm. Central Kitchen take to make sure that uh, people uh, in these desperate situations are taken care of is just amazing. And, it, and as we worry, there's so much bad going on in the world to see some people who are doing so much good is extraordinary. Uh, just, just jump in, Peggy. It's Bob. You, um, you know, you just Bob, you have to. <laughs> Do you know if if people weren't able to attend the fundraiser? Is there still a donation through? Oh yes, through the that's the World Kitchen website. Yeah, yeah, okay. World Central Kitchen, but not through the local um, Chicago fundraiser. They can just go to no, World no, Central no, no, Kitchen. no, because you know all all, per, all proceeds. You know the Green City Market handled uh, the um, uh, the proceeds okay. because they were a nonprofit, so they were able to make uh, you know fuller fuller donation. Also get you know, discounted rates on the space and maybe fear and all that. But, uh, but yeah, just go to the World Central Kitchen uh, website. I think it's wck.org. Well, you don't have to worry about that because I've got the link up uh, on my blog post. So if you, and it is, it is wck.org if you want to go straight there. Yeah, I just put it in the, uh, in the stream too. So, and actually, um, Greg just said President Biden gave a shout out to World Central Kitchen and Chef Andres during a speech yesterday in Poland. How cool is that? Yes, All right, it's, listen. It's very, very amazing. Um, I, I'm sorry we're out of time. You know, we got a couple in there, but you know, this is a preview, Bob. This is a this is a tease because you're going to have to be on the show definitely within the next month um, to uh, explain how uh, the season is ramping up and where folks need to go uh, to get their fresh fruits and vets vegetables for the uh, farmers market seasons. Uh, folks are are eager to do that, so. 
Um, this is a, uh, I, you and I are going to talk and we will schedule something, uh, for very, very yeah. soon. Yep. Yeah. I, I welcome that. And I'm happy to be out of hibernation, even on a cold <laughs> day and, uh, definitely, uh, the, come hill or high water. I will be at, uh, city market <laughs> on a Saturday. Oh, uh, I know. I'll be able to share and I'll be looking forward to reading your, your posts on it. Okay, thanks, guys. I'm Local Food Forum. All right, Bob Benenson, go to localfoodforum.substack.com. Take a read. You know, uh, subscribe for free, and then subscribe for money. Uh, and you're uh, going to be you're going to enjoy what you read about local food. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are talking grow now. When we come yep. back, so. Yes. Mike, if I disappear, I'm switching off my phone back to Comcast. So. <laughs> Good luck. Just so you know, if I disappear. <laughs> Good luck. We'll see what happens on the other end. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. Andrew at Urban Greens. Hey, this is Joel. We are an indoor hydroponics farm in the Twin Cities. We grow lettuce, greens, and herbs and deliver them year-round. And for the last year or so, we've been growing with Happy Leaf LEDs. Yeah, before that, we were using LED light bars with some of the big guys, Philips, GE. Uh, we ran into Poly a little over a year ago at a market outside yep. Chicago, and since then, we've been on the Happy Leaf train. Yep, and a year in, we are extremely pleased with how they perform for us. We have some rainbow chard here growing. We get excellent growth. The growth is quick. Leaves are thick, plants are sturdy, and uh, Happy Leaf LEDs have worked well across all of our plant varieties. Yeah, we use them for our seedlings as well, and that's honestly where we've seen some of the biggest improvements. Seedlings under Happy Leaf are coming in full and thick, thicker stems than what we've seen under the other lights we've used. I don't really have a favorite tree specifically. Trees are so different and at different ages they have different things that make them interesting. Scott's pine trees have fantastic bark. The giant redwood is fantastic again because of the bark and the size of it. My name is Gary Hill and trees are my thing. But I'm also into shrubs. Keep calm and prune on. Words to live by. One of our favorite, <laughs> that's one of our favorite spots, Peggy and I. Keep calm and prune on. Prune on. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And look, you're back. That's good, Peggy. That's good news. I'm glad that you're... That was like 10 seconds downtime here. That was good. Wow, that was quick. Let's hope that Comcast holds on. Emily, I hope you're not... Uh, I hope you don't have Comcast out there. I'm not sure what the... Uh, what service uh, is providing your inner tubes. Um, but um, uh, thank you for being here this morning. Emily is the author. Oh, okay, product placement. Ready? Here we go. Product placement. Uh, it, oh, right. Ever we got, we, it's just not only in stereo, if we had one more, we could have a quadraphonic sound uh, or picture. Um, grow now, how we can save our health, communities, and planet one garden at a time. Uh, Emily Murphy, welcome back. 
to the program. You were with us. I was looking. It was um, almost four years ago. Um, and, and it doesn't seem like that long a time, but it's it's scary mm-hmm. how fast, especially during the yeah. Yeah, with two years of a pandemic um, in between, um, how everything yeah. seemed, seemed to be frozen in amber. Um, and now we're kind of getting back to, uh, the real world here. Um, and at the time you, you had a book called grow what you love. Um, and we talked to you about that and now you've, now you're moving on to saving the whole planet other than just, uh, uh, which is not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, and uh, so tell us how, what, what is the uh, evolution, and I should mention to uh, people, and you, you can, there's a link on my blog post, uh, you, you do a blog called uh, Pass the Pistol, P-I-S-T-I-L, okay folks, hold on, um, and, uh, and so you, you talk about uh, all things gardening, uh, but what is the evolution from Grow What You Love to Grow Now? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, so... Grow What You Love is a book that focuses on 12 sets of seasonal ingredients to change your life and your cooking. And really, when I set out to write that book, it was a reflection of where I was in my work at the time. It was also a way to really honor the gardening heritage, the, the, my gardening family that I, that I grew up in, uh, my mother, my grandmother, and other mentors in my life. And... Uh, and really celebrate the simple act of growing and focusing on the things that matter most in our lives. And the last chapter in Grow What You Love is a chapter uh, called Continue Growing. And in this chapter, it's a, a look at how we can get more from our gardens and more from our lives and understanding that uh, when we grow our gardens, we're growing our lives. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, really, this book, Grow Now, takes off, launches off from this point. You know, it's a look at uh, uh, growing our gardens, not just for ourselves, but for um, uh, wildlife, companion planting, interplanting, etc. And Grow Now uh, really takes those ideas and dives much more deeply into how we can uh, grow our gardens in a way that are beneficial, again, not just for us, but for the planet. And what we realized through the book is that growing for ourselves is in a way that's healthy and in a way that approaches um, approaches our gardens from this regenerative approach, which is something mm-hmm. I bring up and grow now, uh, is really beneficial to us as well as the planet. Well, we might so as well. Emily? Go ahead, uh, Peggy. Uh, um, just for viewers who might not be familiar, when you use the word regenerative, that term, what are you referring to? Yeah, great question. So regenerative is a term that is commonly used in agriculture. Uh, it's it's a, an up and coming term, uh, often referred to as regenerative organics. So uh, the idea is it's no longer enough to be sustainable. We have to we have to re, uh, regenerate our farm systems. And what I've done is I've scaled regenerative organics for home gardeners. But to look at regenerative, uh, the idea is that it's, again, no longer enough to be sustainable. Uh, When you look at the word sustainable, the root word is to sustain, which um, at its core means uh, to maintain the status quo. Mm -hmm. And what we know when we're looking at the climate crisis and species extinction is that it's no longer enough to maintain the status quo. We have to look at 
every square inch from our containers to our greater landscapes, our gardens in between, uh, as uh, places of refuge, places that we can regrow and where we can reassemble nature, rewild our food systems, rewild ourselves and, and rewild our cityscapes and homescapes. And the regenerative practices uh, give us the basic principles for uh, making this happen. And they're, they're so simple uh, that um, it kind of seems crazy that it actually works, but really there are these practical everyday terms of, uh, or principles of, you know, maintaining living roots in the ground, keeping living roots in the ground by growing perennials, uh, planting cover crops, growing ground covers, uh, growing organic or beyond organic, skipping the use of pesticides, herbicides, and synthetic fertilizers, taking a no-dig approach, uh, maintaining uh, the soil ecology by preserving it, with uh, by disturbing it as little as possible, uh, uh, planting biodiversity for biodiversity, and, and doing no harm wherever we can and preserving wild places. Those are the those are the essential core tenants. I'm sure I'm missing at least one, but that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And I outline how to do that and grow now. Well, one of the things that I've listed your tenants of regenerative guarding uh, essentials in my blog post, and one of them is grow organically and say no to synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides. Um, but I think a, a number of people will be surprised at the no-till, no-dig approach. Uh, some people who are new to gardening might say, whoa, 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 whoa. How can you even garden if you're not digging? And yeah. um, I know this because I've been talking about this. I've been talking to people about this for 20 years. All right. This is this is not a new concept, although it is gaining momentum. Um, but, uh, I, the first time I heard it, I was surprised and, and, and what I was told was, yeah, just put lake compost down on top of the previous year and then move on. I'm okay. That I like that a lot better than like digging around, uh, all the time, uh, before yeah, ripping everything out and starting from scratch. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so to talk a little bit about that and in terms of carbon, one of the things I like about your book is how you explain to the layperson what carbon is, why it's important, why it's important to stay in the soil, and how you can actually help it stay in the soil. That's all connected to the uh, the no-till, no-dig approach, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And what we know is that the, 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 the root causes of the climate crisis, uh, excess carbon in the atmosphere and loss of biodiversity, are really the same. And uh, what that tells us is that the solutions are also much the same. And these are nature-based solutions, such as the no-dig approach, preserving the soil ecosystem, also uh, keep stable, stable uh, carbon stores in the soil, in the soil. Because when we till and we dig, we actually release those carbon stores up into the atmosphere. Uh, most of, um, or a large amount of uh, uh, carbon is stored in uh, the earth's surface, whether that's in soil or peatlands. Uh, and uh, we can do the work of shuttling carbon back into soil where much of the atmospheric carbon originated was in the soil. And uh, we can do that through uh, the no-dig approach and keeping living roots in the ground. And how that works, I know carbon has become a dirty word thanks to uh, the overabundance of carbon in the atmosphere. 
but really carbon is life and it takes life to make life mm -hmm. uh, and and when we when we think of when we think of uh, how scientists for it, for instance look for signs of life in the universe they look for signs of carbon based life mm -hmm. in uh, and paired with water and when we keep that in mind we remember okay um, carbon is life every living thing has life in it to foster life in the soil which it's the soil microbes, specifically mycorrhizal fungi, which are really helping shuttle carbon down into soil. Uh, we, we, we can consider it from, well, feeding the soil carbon. And we can do that by uh, top dressing, layering up with organic materials such as compost, uh, leaves, leaf mold, uh, any number of different types of organic mulches. Uh, could work. Compost is a go-to mulch for um, food gardens, of course, and then keeping living roots in the ground. What what happens in the carbon cycle? Many of you might remember from third or fourth grade. Uh, you know, uh, photosynthesis happens when when uh, when plants breathe in the CO2 and they convert sugars. They convert that into sugars thanks to the presence of water and light. They shut all these uh, these sugars down through their bodies or their plant bodies. And those sugars are really carbon. And eventually those sugars with other plant made compounds exude out from plant roots and they barter these root exudates, these um, sugars and and uh, and other plant-made compounds out of their roots, and they barter with those. Uh, they barter with these, I guess I should say. It's a little early here. Uh, with <laughs> with microbes and and microbes such as uh, mycorrhiza fungi and, and certain microbes, they're providing plants with hard to find water and other nutrients. So there's this underground superhighway happening. They're exchanging uh, they're exchanging uh, nutrients and, and water for, uh, you know, so they can survive. And in exchange, then these mycorrhizal fungi are actually helping uh, create uh, humus, which we all love. If you're a gardener, you know what great soil truly is. And, mm -hmm. uh, and when we look at that rich, dark, earthy material, well, that's, that's humus. And, uh, and it's these relationships that most plants have, 90 to 95 percent of plants form these relationships with with uh, fungi and and it's really this this collaborative effort between plants and soil life that allow this process to happen and uh, we can preserve that soil life uh, by digging as little as possible and there's some other wonderful benefits to this as well uh, that soil life also helps support biodiversity. Above well, you know, ground, which... one of the things I, I tell people uh, when I explain the, the connection, and there's a thing called the soil food web, and you not know about this because um, you refer to people like Jeff Lowenfels and his books uh, teeming with uh, fungi and teeming with microbes. Uh, you refer to Doug Tallamy, um, who is going to be on our show in just a couple of weeks once again. Um, and these are people who have, have paved the way and, and pointed out how important these relationships are. And uh, as I tell folks, it, it, it isn't necessary that you understand every single relationship and how the exodus work, you know, how the roots are, are attracting the various microbes to the rhizosphere, which is the area around a plant. What you need to know is it works best if you just leave it alone. If you mm -hmm. just if you just let it be and you uh, apply some compost, especially if you're growing vegetables and that sort of thing in your yard, 
because compost is the soil food web. When you're applying that to your yard, you're applying all these microbes. Uh, and that's the difference between that and synthetic fertilizers, isn't it, Emily? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, synthetic fertilizers actually break that ecological cycle that naturally happens. And, and what we know is that um, that nature knows how to grow itself best, and we can learn from the ways of nature. And when we look at how nature grows itself, leaves fall from trees, um, other plant bits fall to the ground, decomposers do their work, squirrels might be coming in and moving seeds around, and there's all sorts of other animals uh, that are at work, and they're creating their own compost in a sense. It's nature's compost that then feeds the soil. And this wonderful life equals life equation, it takes life to make life equation, then is able to uh, continue. And synthetic fertilizers just don't do that. Uh, and um, Compost is really our best way of, of mimicking nature. And um, it's, it's basically the lexicon, the language of nature that we can, it's the, it's the closest we can get. And as you say, yes, it's, it's, uh, feeding the soil food web and the soil, soil food web, then a healthy soil food web makes it easier for us to grow our plants. It does much of the work of fostering a healthy garden, healthy plants, and uh, has this fabulous push and pull with life above ground. So if you have a healthy uh, soil, soil system, uh, then that soil system is supporting life above ground. and Everything is connected. Well, let's it's, uh, let's look at some of the practical applications of this. With some of these lovely photos that you sent me, I just wanted to pop this in. Where where was this taken? Do you know? Yeah, this is taken in my community garden. Uh, so I moved a year ago. Anyone who follows me on Instagram knows I, I moved a year ago uh, to a home. I had to give up my community garden plot, but for ten years I rented. I had a deck garden and a community garden plot. And this is in that garden. It's an organic garden. And, um, and the practice there is uh, a no-dig approach. Uh, and, and that's part of signing on to this garden, which I thought was so progressive, uh, was, to, was to use these practices. And the garden itself is full of food, but it's also full of birds and other, other wildlife, which is a really remarkable place to be. Yeah, you talk about the uh, uh, no-dig approach and, and how it follows nature. Well, nature doesn't uh, sell uh, gallon containers and five-gallon containers. And sometimes, if you know, if that's the way humans work. Uh, so mm-hmm. occasionally, yeah, you're going to dig a hole to put that in. But that keep it to a minimum is, is the whole point of that. And uh, this looks like some of the, uh, the produce from your garden. Absolutely, yep, that, that sure is. <laughs> uh flowers and vegetables I, I love this shot did you uh did you take this one i did i took that one that's actually across the street from the community garden where i had my plot for so long the uh the native uh plant group and it's not the california native plant society i'm in northern california uh near the point Reyes area if anyone's familiar with uh, northern california uh but um and so the California Native Plant Society is big. This is a regionally based uh, native plant society, and they've taken over this bayfront area and uh, where it was once just rock hard soil and grass, old, you know, weedy grasses. They're beginning to uh, replace that with native plants. This is a California fuchsia, and, which is a native plant, and this lovely little hummingbird coming in to feed. 
Wow, that's that's very very cool. Um, yeah. And and penstemon also. Uh, yeah, penstemon. This is in the same. Yeah, and this is in the same plot, and and uh, I think it's wonderful that it's in the Bayfront area because people were walking by constantly, and they're seeing the beauty and the benefits of native plants, and uh, that they can be beauty. I think are beautiful. I think oftentimes people think, oh, and when you have Doug on your show, Doug Talame, he'll he'll probably talk about how we all need to be considering editing in more native plants and editing out some low functioning ornamentals. And people might say, Oh, well, you know, native plants, they look scraggly or they, how how is my garden? Beautiful, right. Weedy. And, and when you really take time to consider uh, plants native to your area, you're going to find native plants that are beautiful. One of the gardens in grow now that I feature is actually the garden of Pam Carlson and she's in Chicago. She is under the Chicago O'Hare flyway and she's just blocks from the Kennedy expressway. And her garden is predominantly native plants. And uh, a lot of them are strictly native and you'll see in the photos in grow now, how beautiful her garden is. And she has Mm -hmm. so many birds. She's, she's not a food gardener. She's just a a native plant gardener and her, is incredible she's got water features and and everything else in, in, yeah, in a she, very very small space yeah we we she's yeah. going to be on the show well, she's been on our show she's gonna be yeah. on our show again very very soon and we're working with her uh with uh, on an awards uh, uh program in chicago called chicago excellence in gardening awards and so we're very happy to be doing that mm-hmm. i want to pop up something else here which i think is is kind of interesting it's kind of a before and after shot uh, where is this taken? So that is taken in uh, Sonoma, the, the downtown Sonoma. And uh, this is an example of what most front yards often look like. And when you pivot and turn around and look the other way, uh, you see a different approach to uh, to growing and how we can use every square inch. And the idea, how I start Grow Now is... I start grow now with, you know, let's take the bird's eye view. Before we talk about where you're going to put your garden, take the bird's eye view. If you were a chickadee, where would you make your home? Where would you land? And if, if, if every home has the traditional lawn and, 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 you know, maybe nothing growing in the hell strip, the, the, the space between the road and the side parkway. Right, right. Where, where would, where would you, where would you go? And I, and I know that's how that's that's an aesthetic that um, that was popular. Mm-hmm. But it's time to update our aesthetic. It's time to rethink what's beautiful, and it's again time yeah. to rewild our our systems. And that starts at home. So Emily, there's a term you use in the book, nature quotient, that I think is is really pivotal pivotal when people realize, you know, what is someone's approach to nature? How much do they actually know? Because that's certainly going to change the perspective and, and totally changes how you look at your yard. Mm-hmm. Can you explain? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to explain nature quotient. And this goes back to something Mike was talking about earlier, that that when we're looking at the carbon cycle, you don't need to know every every term or understand it completely from beginning to end to understand that, okay, if we just leave soil alone, that's what he was saying, and a, a top dress with compost, let nature do its work. And a nature quotient 
is uh, is very much similar to that idea of you don't need to know every uh, every scientific name of every plant and animal. What really your nature quotient is asking you to do is to pay attention, be curious, and expand your understanding of nature uh, by spending time in nature. So if we consider your IQ, your IQ is your ability to reason. And your EQ, your emotional quotient, is your ability to collaborate with others. And some say your EQ is a better measure for success in life than your IQ, which I think is interesting. And I pull Uh in your nature quotient, your NQ, into the book because I think from my perspective, it's time to... Uh, bring nature to the table, and it's time to realize in many ways uh, that uh, that we can't continue uh, down the path we're on without without bringing in our nature intelligence, our intelligence for nature. And it's really these nature-based solutions that begin with us that uh, provide opportunities for hope through action and 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 finding new ways to interact and relate to nature. You know, uh, I'm looking at it right now. Measure your uh, nature quotient, uh, and you ask some questions like, uh, mm-hmm. "How much time, on average, do you spend outside each week? Two plus hours, one hour, less than one hour." I would also add, you should should add one one more, which is, "It's impossible to get me back inside." Um, and uh, what are your touch plants with nature? House plants, nearby park or open space, plants and trees in your yard and garden. Um, mm-hmm. And I like this one. Which of the following have you done recently? Take a nature walk. Stop when you hear the sound of a bird. Notice a change in wind direction. Look to the sun to figure out the time of day. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Uh, notice a shift in seasons. Yeah, we did. Peggy and I noticed this morning when it was 21 degrees and 8 degrees uh, wind chill. Uh, pick up litter or photograph flowers and plants. And you ask my, a bunch of questions. Like, Yeah, my response would be yes. <laughs> Yes to what? Oh, to all of them, all right? Of them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I, I did pretty well on this. I think my nature nature yeah. quotient is is decent. It's better than I thought it was, at least. Um, and the final I thing, the, the, the Wi Fi one was the one I had problems with. <laughs> oh, what was the Wi Fi one? What is that? Go without your phone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's going to be a hard one if you can, you know. But if pe- you're using iNaturalist to check things in your yard, does that count? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, finally, before we let you go, though, uh, a, a lot of the, and you have practical advice. We, we need to let folks know that there are practical advice of, uh, uh, you know, specific mm-hmm. plants that you should be looking at. For instance, you have uh, plants for, for butterflies here. You have uh, fruit, fruit, trees, and shrubs. And I, and I don't think many people think enough about growing yeah. fruit, trees, and shrubs. Um, I, I love the, the whole perennial your whole perennial section in here of, you know, your perennial edibles, your perennial herbs. Yeah. Perennial edible perennials. And then uh, the um, perennial food forest section. I love, I, Mm -hmm. I I did that section with Eric Tonsmeyer in Massachusetts. I photographed his garden, pulled him in on that section because that's where he's, that's where he really shines. And yeah, there's so many, there's so many great, Plants for people on the planet. That's that section. There's yeah. so many great plants in there that are wonderful places for readers to start. Uh, and, planting and going and back to, yeah, what we were talking about with Bob Benenson that ties in totally here. You've got a cheat sheet for eating with the seasons. That's yeah. identifying mm-hmm. vegetables. 
I, I loved season. it. I was looking at the cheat sheet and what you can grow in each season, and every season has carrots. So you can put, you can put carrots in any time of year, and you're, you're going to be fine. And speaking of uh, perennial edibles, I'm very excited because this is the first year I'm going to be harvesting my asparagus. I am year three. <laughs> I am very stoked about that. Uh, well, folks, let's do a product placement here, Peggy. Once again, um, grow now. We didn't even get into how you can go beyond, whoops, beyond organic. Uh, but uh, just read the book and, and find out. It's yeah. uh, by Emily Murphy. I've got the link to Emily's site, uh, Pass the Pistol, where you can find out about information uh, on the book. And uh, Emily, congratulations and much success with this. Thank you so much. Thanks. And thanks for having me on your show. Oh, it, it, it was absolutely a pleasure. And thank you for getting up early. Like you said, it's, it's frightfully early there um, in the wilds of uh, the left coast. So uh, we, we appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, it's, Emily. it's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. We're getting to our green segment in the next hour. We'll tell you what we're calling it when you stick around. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. And welcome back. Welcome, welcome. 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 Yeah. I'm getting seasick here. Ah, well, so speaking of, of soil, no. et cetera. No. I said yeah. no. That's my no button, the no button. No. I know. Okay. I know. All right. So anyway. speaking of soil and and everything else, um, my latest reading is 43 degrees for the soil in my garden. Oh, you know what? I need to... Uh check my thermometer you want to wait i'll run out back and uh no no okay i'll check it later. i i also remembered after all the rain but i'll be set for this coming week i put the rain gauge out oh you know what i i think i need a new rain gauge it's a plastic one i think it cracked over the winter so it's don't we have some in the sega stash yeah i do that's why i have to go in the garage <laughs> and grab one from the sega stash and uh um, that's the uh, Chicago Excellence in Gardening Which, Awards. By the way, we are in the midst of planning the 2022 Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Should be opening what May 1st, so hopefully Me, we will be back we're in person. In person, judging gardens and uh, giving out awards, fantastic awards that you can signs that you can put in your your oh. yard. Uh, however, you have to live in the city of Chicago. It, just being one block over. The border doesn't count. We had <laughs> a controversy about that at one point. Maybe um, next year. <laughs> and oh, and if not... you would like, if you'd like to get involved, all of our viewers, if you live in the area, you don't have to be in Chicago to be on the committee. We are seeking judges. We yeah. are seeking people who want to get involved in the and, committee. 
basically, uh, just so you know, Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards, we started in 2017 um, as a reaction to the city of Chicago dropping the Mayor's Landscape Awards, which they had done for more than 50 years. With a loud thunk. Just, yeah, they did a mic drop. Unfortunately, they broke the mic. Um, and uh, that was Rom. Rom Emanuel did it. Thanks, Rom. Good job, buddy. Um, and uh, don't get me started on mayors. I, 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 I okay, I, I am going to get back started. Back to Sega. Back to Sega. Back All right, to we'll Sega. get, we'll get. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, so we, we, I got, I got mad, and I said, well, if, if they're not going to do awards, I'm going to do them. And uh, so the Mike Novak Show, and then Natural Awakening Chicago, and a bunch of other groups like uh, Illinois Extension and. Uh, advocates for urban agriculture and uh, shed aquarium because we know christine's watching right that's now. right good for her and the shed aquarium has been a huge part of this because of christine and julie taylor and uh and uh, uh and other organizations like forest preserve district of cook county they they all backed us and said okay we'll do this and uh we've given out 150 awards well for three years we did it live in person and then of course covid hit and we did videos for two years and now we're going back to live and that's a good thing. Um, and now we know that you can, we can be safely outdoors. That's not an issue. Um, and so we're going to uh, resurrect the uh, Chicago Excellence Gardening Awards again this year. So it'll be our... reach. No, we're going to recharge it. Recharge it, yeah. Yes. Recharge it, yeah. It'll be a sixth season, uh, which is Regenerate amazing. Regenerate it. Um, and we are a not-for-profit, a 501c3. You're welcome to donate your hard-earned cash to us if you want because we can always use it to help uh, uh, to recognize individual garden achievements in the city of Chicago. And the last two years, we were able to do that elsewhere uh, because we did the video challenge and we just opened it up to everybody. But uh, if we're going in person, yeah, it, I'm, not, I'm not driving to uh, Omaha to look at a garden. Yeah. Um, but very specifically, other than donating, we need, we're looking for people to help with judges. We're looking for people to help with marketing, social media, and getting the word out. And we're looking for a couple of tech people. Just membership, team members uh, is what we're looking for. I, um, you know, judging is a very specific thing. My feeling is like we just, we just want people to, to, uh, who, who love gardening and think gardeners need to be recognized for the, the good work they do in beautifying and uh, not only beautifying, but help, helping save the planet, um, uh, as we just learned through Grow Now, which is yeah. leave your yard in better shape than you found it, like by adding compost and, and planting the right plants. So, yeah, uh, you can get a hold of uh, me, Mike, at MikeNovak.net, and I will certainly pass your name along to the team. Uh, I want to show you something Peggy, uh, I was going to do this at the beginning, and then you had uh, your technical issues seem to have cleared up. So Comcast has finally gotten their act together. Don't say that too loudly. Yeah, you're right. I, because uh, they'll just show up and say, no. Um, uh, yeah, no. All right. So, no, they'll say, no. No, no. For... All and right. Then, but no. Oh, yeah, and then you'll be frozen. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. My. Speaking. What were you showing me? <laughs> I was going to show you something. I was working. Uh, yes. I don't know. if It was yesterday or the day before. Um. And um. I'm looking down. And this is peering up at me. Oh. I know. 
Uh, it's Legata the Kitty, because she's not down here, because I would do Legata Cam, except I'd have to run upstairs, because... She's looking at, like, will you please get off the computer and feed me? It, it, that's kind of it. She's, yeah, saying, is is there any cool food around here that I I might be able to partake of? Uh, and when she stares at you like that, you just... There's, there's, and, I, and and for you folks uh, listening on the podcast, I'm telling you, you need to go to our YouTube page and subscribe so you can see this wonderful photo. Of I think my... that's a Facebook post, an Instagram post, right? Oh there. yeah, there's going to be. It's I, I thought I, I haven't done that yet, but yet, but I'm going to pop that up. So that's going to go mm-hmm. onto Facebook and Instagram. Oh, but plant news. Oh, it's, good. it's the hippie ester. <laughs> Guess what? My hippie astrums, aka amaryllis, I got three pots of them. Not yeah, a single four right now. Not a sing, not a single one has a bud, a stalk. Hmm. They're all leaves, and I'm I I I'm really disappointed. And I gave them their time out, you know, for several months in the basement, and then I brought them up here, and one of them's a big honking beautiful fleshy bulb and all i'm getting is leaves i'm like what this one's dancing queen so this is the the one that's come back with full buds and it's going to be blooming probably this week the others are iffy because they're much shorter they're still at leaves so i don't know i've never heard of that variety iffy that's a very strange variety no i said the others yeah the others are all iffy are are iffy iffy the iffy no no all i have are I don't know the varieties I have. They've been around. Well, that's because I put the tag in that one. That's why. I should have put it. I don't know that mine had a tag, but. And some of them I got. They're all leafy varieties. Yes. Yeah, but they're not, they're not sending up their, their, their buds and the stalks. I'm, I'm really disappointed. I, I, well, maybe I'm going to go a year without them. That happens too. Or they'll just appear later. I mean, this one was all leaves for a while and suddenly it just started. Oh, really? Yeah. It's possible. It's possible I get that, and the, and of course because they're indoors, um, their leaves are really long and narrow, and mm-hmm. uh, floppy. Uh, what I do is then I take it all outside, put it in the yard, and and the those leaves will die back, and it'll send out new leaves, and they'll be much shorter mm-hmm. and 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 uh, wider. Um, uh, they don't need to search as much for sun as they yeah. ha- they do in my house somewhere yeah exactly <laughs> so um all right is it time for the green the green what, what i'm, I'm calling, it? calling it this week is because when we had the suggestions and thank you to all who made suggestions uh the green dispatch uh i kind of like that now i you know i had the green pages and then somebody Oddly enough, wrote to me this week that they're an environmental group in Chicago is putting together a website that they're going to call the Green Pages um, and list yeah, a and green, green organization. But as you said, other people have done that before. Yeah. Back back in the in the days of the late great Chicago Green Festival, they had right. It's amazing how pages. many festivals come and go. The Green Festival. Um, we were talking earlier about the Good Food Festival. Uh, you and I have gotten notices. Uh, and I and I referred to you. Uh, there's a, there's a new one coming up in Milwaukee that looks like it's replacing the Independent Garden Center. Yeah, uh, which isn't happening. IGA con- show is happening. Right, that's disappeared. 
all of a sudden. So it is uh, these these, and it happens. Yeah. Things come and now, go. Midwest the, Renewable Energy Association is going to have their show again this year in person. That's in June up in Wisconsin. Speaking of shows, that ah, are still happening. which someday I want to go to and see. Uh, by the way, the one I was talking about, uh, there's one in Milwaukee, gar- the Garden Center show. So apparently that is replacing the Independent mm-hmm. Garden Center show. So, and, yeah. and Skeet's, Skeet's looking for a What Did Mike Learn This Week segment. Well, he just wants me to play the uh, the goofy video, right? <laughs> was loud okay <laughs> that's louder than i anticipated that's yeah, to wake everyone up I, I what did i learn this week i learned um i know i learned something because i i i, I, I shocked myself by playing that so quickly i know i was like whoa how'd you get that pulled up and played like like right at your fingertips there's always something you learn uh, I can't remember. I, 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 it'll come up. Something will pop into my head, and I'll say, "Here's, yeah. here's, here's what I learned this week." But, but I can tell you what else I did this week. Maybe in lieu of what I learned, um, is I planted seeds out in the backyard, and I was very you know, now with the temperatures at twenties and uh, wind chill ridiculous. Um, I'm, I'm not crazy about that, but uh, you know what? They're going to be fine. Because uh, they hadn't germinated yet, so we're good to go. So, um, I, but I was really happy because at the beginning of the week I planted spinach and lettuce, uh, some peas, some carrots, and uh, got them in containers the way Lisa Hilgenberg suggested I do. Because now I can move Chicago Botanic Garden. Right, I can move them around to the uh, light areas um, as necessary because light uh, sunlight in my backyard is problematic. Um, and then after I planted them, we got like three days of drizzle, mist, and cool temperatures. And I went, yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. have to go water. They got don't, watered. Got watered. Had, don't have to worry. And, and um, cool temperatures for those plants that like the cool, I'm, I'm very happy. So uh, we had actually germinated the peas indoors, indoors here. And so I just stuck those little root systems Mm-hmm. in the ground we'll see how we do because that you know those are the two things that we talked to lisa hilgenberg from the chicago botanic garden the Regenstein fruit and vegetable garden at the chicago botanic garden ow and um <laughs> that's that's almost as loud as this <laughs> Anyway, um, I, I, because would I, you like me to do a goat impersonation? You'll be laughing even more. No, please do. Please. 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 No, 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 uh, no folks. No. Okay. I have to what tell you, days? not today, everybody watching <laughs> Peggy does the best goat impersonation ever. And she refuses to do it on the show. Please. Re- no, I have to, I have to catch you off guard. When you I have to write to her now and say, Please do, please do the goat impersonation, okay? All right. We need to get to some stories, though, here. Do we? No, we don't. I'm having fun. Uh, 
I don't, I don't want to do anything serious because there's uh, uh, what I'll tell you about is a few things that uh, one thing I well, want is to. Well, there a non-serious story here? Well, somewhere less serious. No, no, no. But but um, we had Bruce Bruce uh, send something earlier about the. Um, yeah, I was going to look that up. I was going yeah, to. Yeah, uh, if somebody's got a link to, he says the governor is running campaign ads hyping Rockford Airport expansion. That ain't good, especially because I don't think I can't even imagine that those ads are going to say, yes, we're doing the Rockford Airport expansion and we're going to find a way to save Bell Bowl Prairie at the same time. I kind of doubt that that is in that commercial. He's just going to tout the industry and the economics and the natural area is going to go. Okay, let's. So, so if see. you can, find, if, if anybody's got, got that link, uh, if you um, track, track something down. Governor Pritzker's new campaign ad. This is off CapitalFacts.com. Okay. The script. Uh, now I have not seen this. I just looked it up. Um, airport workers in Rockford, Mayor. It opens. Do you know what city has the fastest growing cargo airport in the world? It's right here in Illinois, Rockford, Illinois. Oh, dear. And as governor, J.B. Pritzker helped make it happen by investing in new capacity for our airport and funding millions to train workers. Business has already tripled and the upcoming expansion will create hundreds of new jobs, says J.B. Pritzker in the ad. Quote, across Illinois, we're improving infrastructure and creating jobs. There's a lot left to do, but Illinois is moving forward. Okay. March 23rd, 2022. Okay. Well, we'll uh we'll see how that goes. Um, I have not I'm just reading it. I haven't seen it. No, I haven't either. Uh it's first I heard of it. All right. Um one of the things we were talking about and and again, you can go to uh the Green Dispatch which is at the bottom of the blog post that I put together for today's show. Uh if you don't know how to get to there, you go to the home page and at the top along the uh what do they call the headlines at the top? The uh uh whatever. You know, where the the subject lines, home, about, blog post, video archive, contact. Yeah. What what is that list called? Anybody? Uh, I'm not sure. I was reading the I was reading that Jeannie Davis saw the spot already, too. Okay. Well, so I'm to, sorry. You were asking what? I wasn't listening. Okay. Thank you. That's okay. Just go to where it says blog post at the top of the page, and it'll get you to the blog post. All right. And then scroll down it, and you'll see all the articles that we're not going to get around to discussing today. Although there are uh, – one that is interesting comes out of uh, Minnesota. I was um, really stunned by this. The uh, Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, and this is uh, in the in the in the category of oil pipelines, okay? Which of which there's a lot happening these yeah, days. Yeah, and you're going to see something in the break um, that I put together um, about the uh, Line Five pipeline uh, going under the Straits of Mackinac. Yeah, uh, in, I'd, I'd in actually Michigan. like to touch on that nation article if we can. Okay, let's but, do that, and then because then that'll put that uh, the uh, the uh, the PSA you're going to see at 10:30 into perspective. Well, anyway, to start, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources uh, released details of more. They say because I hadn't seen this story before, more groundwater leaks caused by the construction of the Line Three oil pipeline, and they don't even say whose Line Three pipeline because everybody knows 
It's Enbridge. Which is a Canadian Everybody knows it's Enbridge. Um, And it doesn't matter. We we all know who's got pipelines crisscrossing America. Enbridge, of course. Canadian Um, oil company bringing mostly from um, Alberta. And and often, often just going from Canada through the United States back to Canada. That oil doesn't necessarily stop here unless it spills. Then it stops yeah. here. Um, so the DNR completed its investigation of three sites where crews installing the pipeline breached underground aquifers, causing uncontrolled and unauthorized flows of groundwater. Now, they're not saying that the oil spilled into there. What they're saying is they were constructing pipelines and mm-hmm. broke through to the aquifers and caused the aquifers to leak. To For uh, months on end. Enbridge reported that flow was stopped. Are you ready for this, folks? Nearly a year later in one of them, after releasing at least 50 million gallons of groundwater, the DNR now says, and this is in Minnesota, the DNR now says that a second breach, a second breach occurred around August 2nd and released about 9.8 million gallons of groundwater before Enbridge reported it had stopped the flow four months later. Holy smoke. Um, a third breach was identified a- around September 10 near Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa Reservation in St. Louis mm-hmm. County. Uh, the DNR said Enbridge has substantially slowed, good for them, but not completely stopped that leak which has resulted in the release of nearly 220 mm-hmm. million gallons of groundwater. Yeah. And in a press release, the Fond du Lac band said the breach is discharging water within their reservation boundaries upstream of Deadfish Lake. It said the flow potentially could violate the band's water quality standards and impact its natural resources, including one of its wild rice waters. Un- unbelievable. And one of them, it took them a year to get things straightened out. Uh, a year. So that so we put that story in uh, so that we could put the second story in, which is the Illinois story, uh, which you have probably not heard about much because it has not been reported as far as I can tell. In the, it's not in the Chicago area, so it's not going to get a yeah, lot of press. Just media. an oil spill downstate. Who cares about what happens downstate? It's outside St. Louis. Man. Yeah, you know. Yeah, right. We, we, we send our sewage to St. Louis anyway, so why not? Uh, the attorney, the Illinois Attorney General, is suing an oil company, which is not Enbridge. So there we go. That's something. No, uh, it's Marathon. Yeah, after more than one hundred sixty thousand gallons of crude oil leaked into Cahokia Creek. Uh, let's see. Um, the, uh, the folks were shocked <laughs> when they found out more than 160 uh, gallons of crude were spilled. Um, and um, the attorney general is stepping in now, finally. This was, um, when was this? Because uh, I, I, I posted. This is, still going, this is still going on. And I actually tracked back a couple of the other stories. You, you were saying how, you know, nobody knows what's going on. There was a lot of people in Edwardsville that didn't know what was happening. Except wondering what that smell was in the air. Yeah. Ooh, what's that smell? Yeah. 
So that's wow. going on. What was in, in your coffee this morning? I don't know. I'm just in a singing mood. <laughs> oh, but I'm going to do one be- oh, before we go. <laughs> well, and, and I wanted to then, do we want to get to line five? Yes. Let's go very quickly to line five because that's the next one. Uh, the, the title of the, the headline is Big Oil in the Mackinac Straits is a Disaster Waiting to Happen. And I want you to follow up on this because I it's from the nation and I used up my three free Oh, um, okay. So if there's a paywall, uh, but if, if if you're going to the nation for the first time, you should be able to read this story. Yeah, and, and, and we've talked about this on the show, and I think it's probably time that we revisit it again because a lot has changed. So Enbridge Line 5 runs under the Straits of Mackinac, Upper Peninsula to Lower Peninsula. And what is it, a 60-plus-year-old line? Yep. Six, it's it's a, very close to how old I am, so... It's old. It, it's wow. It's old. No, yeah. um, the 60 <laughs> thank plus, you. Thank you very much. <laughs> a sixty-plus-year-old line running right under the Straits of Mackinac, connecting, um, which connects Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, which is hydrologically kind of one lake, one of the absolute worst spots if there ever was an oil spill for mm-hmm. contamination of the Great Lakes. Um, a couple of years ago, when we visited this, they were looking at shutting it down. There was a lot of tribal. Um, involvement, uh, Governor Whitmer of Michigan, many others trying to get Enbridge to shut it down. Well, what has apparently since happened is um, Enbridge wants to go now, rather than shut it down, they want to blast a new underground tunnel beneath the Straits to replace the existing water pipeline. Um, A broad coalition of Michiganders have come together to oppose Line 5, including Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Attorney General Dana Nessel. but this was created by the state's former governor, Rick Snyder. Um, the commission. Who, the commission who granted Enbridge permission yeah. to move forward on the project. And it's people are finally just realizing this is happening. It's, it's not really been out there in the news quite as much. Um, Although I thought, very, it, I thought it's pretty well known in Michigan. I mean, this is a, yeah, this but is not a big the rest battle. Of the country like it was. And, well, yeah. and this is, this is actually a very interesting piece. Um, yeah, in November of 2020, Governor Whitmer revoked Enbridge's easement for the pipeline, citing, quote, the unreasonable risk that continued operation posed to the surrounding waters and gave the company six months to shut down the line. In May, when that deadline expired, the state's lawsuits continued to progress, but the oil continued to flow through line five. Um, it's violating some treaties. Um, oh Canada, yeah, that part of the, the, the deal thing. is it is violating treaties, and that is the basis for which they hope to stop the pipeline. Really? Yeah, yeah. And and so this article is written by, um, and I'm not sure which tribe she's in, Hadassah Green Sky. Um, uh, I'm looking here. And well, and, and says, let me say they wouldn't be stopping the pipeline. By the way, they would be. They, that's stopping building of it. It's already there, as we know. It would be shutting yeah. it down. But Enbridge wants to put a whole new line in. Under right. They want to put and, a tunnel and put a pipeline through a tunnel under Lake Michigan. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. And she says, and so the author says, quote, what we don't have is time and money. Enbridge has both and is trying to wear us down by dragging the process out and by spending funds we can't even imagine matching. Just last year, the company dropped over $8 million on advertisements for its tunnel. Given that 2020 is an election year, we can imagine that it will spend even more this year. 
And this is oil that goes through Michigan and out to Sarnia, Ontario, um, without actually stopping in the state to benefit any of the people in yeah. Michigan. This is a shortcut. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Canada shortcut through the United States. All right. Before we go, um, I, one of the articles, I don't know if you saw the very last one I added to there was DuSable Lakeshore Drive could get a bus, could get bus only lanes, tolls and more lakefront park space in a proposed overhaul. If you go a block club, Chicago wrote about this and it's, it's pretty complex. They've got like six different scenarios about how Lakeshore drive could be changed. Um, adding lanes, subtracting, not actually subtracting lanes, but converting lanes from Mm -hmm. general traffic to bus only um, and different configurations thereof. Uh, All of it involves adding more park space, which is great, especially downtown as you get to downtown where the, the lake can just lap up onto the highway and causes problems. So they want to do more landfill out there. Um, and uh, create park space. Uh, so inevitably, we'll probably get more park space out of the whole thing. But it's interesting to see all the different configurations. I don't really have a, a, a dog in this hunt. Um, I'm not really sure yet which one I, I would like. I haven't read enough about it, but it, it, it's a way for you to look at the overhaul. But what, what it brought to mind to me was the song. Speaking of songs, since you were talking about songs... Um, we need to redo the words to that very famous song, Lakeshore Drive. Aliota Haynes and Jeremiah. Yep. Aliota Haynes and Jeremiah. And there ain't no road just like it anywhere I found. Running south on Jean-Baptiste Point to Sable Lakeshore Drive, headed into town. Just snaking, on by, just snaking on by on JBPD LSD, Friday Night Trouble Bound. It just, it just rolls off the tongue. Doesn't it? It just it just kind of does. Don't so, forget paying my toll. Um, paying my and toll. Staying out of the bus lane. Staying out of the bus lane. <laughs> Trying not to get a ticket because I'm in the bus lane. Friday night trouble bound. All right, we need to uh, on get that on that note. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio is next, and stick around. Look at the end of this uh, break here, and you'll see what I was talking about regarding the uh, line five uh, in Michigan. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in zones four and five. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. Our Great Lakes are the pride and joy of every Michigander, as well as an economic powerhouse that supports more than 1.3 million jobs. We all have our own Lake Michigan story, right? Uh, What these these waters mean to us, what this land means to us. Threatened by a decrepit, ticking time bomb, Enbridge Line 5, that is older than I am, and I am qualified for Social Security. Line 5 flows through the whole state, and if the pipeline breaks in the straits, or anywhere along it, 645 miles, we will have a disaster. Enbridge caused the biggest inland oil spill in history. A spill that, according to DOJ records, went unnoticed by Enbridge for 17 hours. That Enbridge oil spill happened in July of 
2010. They have a track record of lies, shoddy maintenance, and the catastrophic rupture of Line 6B fouling the Kalamazoo River near Marshall that is still not and never will be remediated in my lifetime. If you walk along the Kalamazoo River miles from the accident, you will see the sheen of oil on the water. And that's today, right now. Oil and water do not mix. So we're asking, you jack this short-sighted tunnel, we need to shut down line five. Pretty amazing stuff. That was, uh, I, I just, I got that like two days ago, um, yeah. an email um, that uh, had a video of the testimony against the uh, Line 5 um, pipeline. And um, um, it's, it actually goes about seven, six or seven minutes long. And I just said, okay, let's mm-hmm. condense some of this and, and put it together because it's, it's very poignant. I um, think we need an upcoming show segment. Um, it's time. It's time to get the, yeah, the folks from, from uh, oil, oil and Water Don't Mix back on the program. I'd like to get Dallas Bluetooth back on one of these days, too. Uh, you know, if you think you can, I'd say go for it. Let's get him back on because I'd love to talk about uh, yeah. what's going and, on. And Winona LaDuke, yeah. Yeah, uh, all of those pipelines, Line 3, Line 5. Um, and there's uh, Rick DeMaio, meteorologist. Uh, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning. How, How are you both? How was breakfast? Uh, I had um, Eggs Benedict at Cappy's on and that place is amazing. Never disappoints. Okay. Um, I didn't... How did you know about... He texted me that he was a great... that inspired you. Okay, you know... What's that thing? You texted me that you were at breakfast. That's how I knew. <laughs> oh, I know. I was, I was, you know, kind of following, uh, watching the time that I was not going to miss the show. So yeah. uh, you, should, you should feel good about it. He, he, he doesn't tell me about his breakfast. He texts you. He doesn't text me. <laughs> well, so. Peg will answer. Peg will answer her phone. Put it that way. I beg your pardon. Uh-oh. No, no, no. This is this is during the show. Peg is usually. Oh, the- during the show. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I'm not going to. No, yeah, you're, gonna... you're you're flying this. This I'm, fly, I'm flying the airplane right. here. Okay. That, that's, all I, that's all I meant by that. That's okay. Meant. Okay. Good. Yeah. Glad to hear that. <laughs> all right. I've got something uh, I want to show you guys because you saw a lot of us saw this, but if you didn't see it, this is one of the most remarkable things I've seen in uh, a long time. Let's make sure that I've got the audio up on it too. Um, uh, take a look at this. All right, you've likely seen this weather video by now. A red truck got oh, yeah. swept up in a tornado in Elgin earlier this week. We now know who the driver is. It's 16-year-old Riley Leone. He was returning home from an interview at a Whataburger when that wild ride happened. He miraculously survived, but his truck was destroyed. Watch and what Riley happens to the truck here. That vehicle, though, meant a lot to him and his family. With that truck's the one that helped my dad through the years work. Uh, it carried a lot of working equipment we had, and it, it brought us to this now. My dad passed it to me, but I paid him. I paid him off, and that truck is where that got us this house. This afternoon, we were told a Chevrolet dealership in Fort Worth will be gifting Riley a brand new Silverado this Saturday. Plus. He did get that job at that Whataburger, and he starts on Monday. What a story. 
It's, and, and and if you saw that, the truck gets knocked over on its side, spins around, and then the wind flips it back on its wheels, and the kid drives away. It's like, wow, what what you know? That's luck. That's the luck of the draw, isn't it? Yeah, and and I think if Chevrolet was smart, um, they would get that truck and bring it to every uh, car show across the United States, show the video and go, look how tough our trucks are and look how tough our drivers are. Not only are Chevy trucks tough, but our drivers are as well, because not only are you getting sucked up in a tornado, flipped back on its side, and you drive away, I mean, that could be a commercial for the next five or 10 years. It's pretty amazing stuff. You know what? I didn't think about that, and and, and they really should. That I hope they yeah, uh, still have that truck there's around. Nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, uh, this was not something that was done in Hollywood. It was not something that was done in Twister, where the truck gets sucked up in the air and then crashes back down or gets flipped around. You know, it's like this is a real freaking truck being caught up in a tornado. And in Texas, I think the only reason why you had someone drive away was because they were 16 years old and didn't know what else to do. Otherwise, it would have been someone jumping out of the car going, oh, my God, or texting on their phone. This kid was probably so freaked out. He goes, I think I just better get home right now. Yeah. So he I, was I probably. Think I think he said he, he drove away and pulled over to the side of the road or something like that. But yeah, yeah that, that, that probably he drove was, away. Right. Yeah. But he probably drove away thinking, okay, I probably need to get off the road. We don't know whether someone is going to be driving through and could hit me, or there could be another one on the on the way. So that's 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 probably the one of the first things he thought of. Uh, but yeah, if that's not isn't a commercial uh, for the next ten years, I don't know what is. Yeah. It's pretty. I was I, I've shown that video now probably a dozen times. Oh really? Yeah, okay. But that's oh, yeah. that's from the tornadoes and the the bad storm outbreak from this past week down in Texas. Yeah, Elgin, Elgin, Texas, um, was one of the areas where the tornado came through and had a multiple vortex um, spinoff tornado, um, and that was only like an F one. That was a weak tornado, and again, it's the weak tornadoes that you can actually see a lot of the debris move around. Usually, the threes and the fours, there's so much debris and you can't get that close to it. Um, People like in those tornadoes, the threes and the fours, you wouldn't survive, first off. Uh, but that same tornado lifted up uh, and then from a drone perspective hit a couple of mobile homes and some other smaller buildings. Uh, but that was uh, one of four tornadoes that produced F3 damage in uh, Round Rock, just east-northeast of um, Austin, Texas, up around Tyler, Texas. And then day two of that was when the tornado went through New Orleans, which was another F3, which was really, again, remarkable from a standpoint that uh, not more people were killed or severely injured because this tornado was literally on the ground for about 10 or 15 minutes through the lower ninth ward. And that's the area that was so devastated by Hurricane Katrina. What makes that noteworthy is that most of the houses in that area are either wood frame one or, or somewhat on an elevated foundation, meaning that they're not really rooted down to the ground. So um, either A, you don't have a basement, or B, you have a foundation that's basically a wood frame dated three or four feet due to the fact that you're on a floodplain. So your house is either going to get wind underneath it or literally get pulled off of it. Um, so I think both times the tornadoes came through, 
during a time of the day where they were visible. Um, everybody knew about it. The watches and the warnings were excellent. You had wall-to-wall coverage. But there's always that one part of an event where I just think we got lucky. We with the storms in Iowa three weekends ago. Uh, we got lucky with these storms in Dallas or the Austin-Dallas area, and we got lucky in New Orleans. So we've had three tornado outbreaks, which could have easily been much more of, you know, 50, 60 fatalities, which each one, literally the one in Iowa was three miles south of Des Moines. The one in Austin was two miles east-northeast of the state capitol. And this one was probably about eight, block, eight blocks south of the French uh, so you're talking, you know, population areas that are not small. These were pretty big. And I just think we got lucky. So instead of talking about why is a tornado season so bad, what we do to help people be more prepared, um, you never really analyze luck, right? You never go, what made you lucky? You go, I don't know. We got lucky. And then you move on. So um, uh, it's still early. It's only the, what, the, the last weekend of March. And we still have April and May ahead of us. And it looks like the pattern is going to get active again as we head into the middle of the week. So uh, usually you get into these patterns with, with La Niña's where you get this very strong, you know, jet stream moving through the desert southwest or from the northern plains. And it's kind of bearing out just exactly the way it is. And remember, we talked about this three weekends ago. I said I wouldn't be surprised if as warm as we were in the first Saturday of the month of March, we'll probably have cold and snow on the last Saturday of the month of March. And that's exactly how it played out yesterday. It was awful. Oh, it's and it's oh, like, this is your doing. So this is your doing. <laughs> yep, I predicted a pig. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and for those who didn't see, and that other video didn't quite show it. I want I want to show one more time. You get to see. Uh, what happened when... Okay, back to the wild weather uh, out of Texas following a tornado outbreak. Folks, this is video you're looking at from Elgin, just east of Austin. Watch as a twister lifts a pickup off the ground, spinning it around Boom. and then landing it back on its wheels. Take another look. Wow. Okay, if that's not enough... The driver continues down the road as if nothing even happened. Mm. Now, the only, the only thing that I think is kind of interesting is uh, the airbags didn't go off. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's actually a GoFundMe yeah. for his, his medical off of that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I don't know whether or not the truck was was too old to have airbags, but I noticed that when he drove away, there was no airbag that came off out of the um, uh, out of the steering wheel compartment or the curtain airbag. So maybe that's not something that Chevy wants to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I don't know. Uh, and then you said something. That this is – I wish I still had the uh, – the uh, the video from last night of this uh, visible satellite image. Uh, if this was so cool and it looks so good uh, on on uh, high resolution screen, uh, this yeah. is this is just a screenshot, um, and you can see uh, we're covered in that nastiness <laughs> that blew in here uh, yesterday. Um, it it's it, and you can see the front all the way out in the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is the third time I think we're showing this type of a storm on a, on a Sunday. Uh, we've had a lot of these. It's been a very, very active pattern. 
And if you notice, almost all of them are occluding somewhere over the Great Lakes, which means that the areas that are getting wet um, over, say, from Arkansas down to Louisiana and into Mississippi and Alabama are getting wet yet again. Uh, what's also interesting is this is the uh, true color um, background. So I can either have it as a black and white image or a true color image. And the true color basically means that the satellite is detecting vegetation. And if you notice the areas of southeast Georgia and northern Florida where they've had a lot of rain in the last three or four weeks, it's actually pretty green in that particular uh -huh. area. So, um, yeah. and then you can, almost, yeah, yeah. you can almost also see how parts of eastern Texas and uh, the Mississippi River um, are a little bit darker. That means there's a yeah. lot of water there. And you kind of make out parts of western Even Tennessee. Even southern Illinois looks, looks darker on that map. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's amazing. All you need to do is go into those links that I, you can save those links and look at those all the time. Uh, but this time of the year, you generally tend to see the, the beginning of the vegetation uh, begin to develop. Even around here, I mean, it, the, most of the grassy areas are green, um, but yet uh, the snowdrops, I noticed them this morning when I took my dog out for a walk at about 8. Uh, the snowdrops that did rebloom over the last couple of days when it was warm were drooped over and not only frozen, uh, but don't look like they're going to come back. So yeah. we had a hard freeze last. Yeah, temperatures were down into the low 20s, which is really remarkable considering how warm we've been uh, with the fifth day of 70 uh, that we had last Monday. Yeah, you know, some of those, uh, if if you had blooms open, there's a good chance that they got zapped by the freeze. If the buds had not opened yet, there's a good chance they'll right. make it through. So it's it's kind of kind of iffy depending on your situation. Um, and here's uh, the winds that, uh, that that came through here, uh, the squall, showers and squalls on Friday. Yeah, and, and this was basically um, the type of setup that you'll get in late March when you get a couple of showers that will develop. You sometimes can get a little bit of lightning and thunder in them, which was why it was kind of odd that we actually severe thunderstorm warning out. But the fact that the wind was blowing so strong just above the surface, once the rain shaft begins to develop and you get this coalescence of raindrops and sometimes what we call grapple, which is basically like a spongy hail, uh, usually grapple is raindrops that get thrown up into the anvil and don't get a chance to get too high. So they don't really get that hard of, a, of, a, of an ice cover. So it's literally a raindrop that like you put in the freezer for about five minutes, and then you pull it out before it ends up getting a chance to freeze. I think we've all done that as kids with ice pops. Um, but the grapple will come down to the ground very quickly, and as it's doing so, it's pulling air down. So if you get a column of air that's getting kind of pulled down with the shaft of rain or sleet, that's really not sleet. It's like hail and then that grapple. Uh, you'll get a lot of wind. So the wind, about two or 3,000 feet above the surface, was blown about 60 miles an hour. And if these things are moving at 40 miles an hour, you can easily get that wind down to the surface, which is what happened. And it generally lasts less than about five minutes. But the fact that it's happening on a Friday afternoon, I mean, I was walking out of class downtown on Friday at about 10 to five. And literally we went from sun with clouds to a heavy shower of snow. 
and 40 to 50 mile an hour winds for literally about 30 seconds. And everybody's looking around going, what the hell is this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. it didn't last long, but, but it was, it was pretty dramatic and, and an umbrella wasn't going to help me. Uh, you just had to endure it, but it's well, a crazy March weather. At the, at yeah, the, and then yesterday the temperature just kept going down. Oh, hey, I was, you know, a couple of days ago, I was thinking, okay, degrees. And then I'm looking, I'm like going, yeah, we get a little bit of sun, maybe 42. And then I'm looking, I'm like, eh, it's going to be cloudy, go 38. And then, like, I'm looking at the weather, I'm like, it's like snowing at 32 all day. I mean, I, I missed the forecast, like, by 8 degrees. It was it was absolutely terrible yesterday. Um, and the May, what made it worse was that on Monday, it was 75. I mean, Midway mm-hmm. hit 77 degrees. O'Hare was 76. Most places was 75. And then we knew it was going to get cold, you know, cloudy and wet. But when you Saturday, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculously <laughs> cold. It was, it, was, it was the kind of cold that just... It makes you hate March in the Midwest. It really yeah. does. And then this morning's wind chill. Ah. Yeah, I think we had wind chills probably in the upper teens in some areas. No. So it was yeah, it was I mean, it was single digits, single digit. Wind it wasn't really. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised because when I got up at about eight and took the dog, it was about 22, and the wind was blowing about 15 miles an hour. So yeah, it probably was about that low. Uh, but the good news is that. Um, it should begin to warm up during the day tomorrow a little bit, much more today. But the next month or so, we're in this pattern of of warm to cold, warm to cold, warm to cold. We're not as cold as the Northeast. We're not as warm as the as the West. Um, so it's going to get really hot out west, and then really cold in the, in the east. And we're going to be, you know, kind of be in between that. So get used to these downs. Yeah, I, I think the one thing to note is that the Great Lakes right now are only about 23% covered in ice. It's normal for this time of the year. Yeah, most of that ice is over um, is over Lake Superior. So because that, um, if you notice, so what this map shows you is the gray area over Lake Superior is where the ice is. Anything that's blue uh, is open. So the fact that Lake Michigan is open, uh, Lake Huron is open, but more importantly, Lake Erie and Lake Ontario are wide open, and those temperatures are about 40 degrees. They're getting lake effect snow. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen lake effect snow to tune of 10 to 16 inches downwind of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario in, in, late, in late March. This is really, really bizarre weather. It's not uncommon to get storms this time of the year. But to get that much lake effect snow is, is is pretty rare. Well, what I would guess is, uh, you know, if you're getting the snow, that's not that's not usually not a problem because that's a mulch, and it's actually protecting plants. Uh, the the tough part is when we had something like here, uh, yesterday and today, uh, which is these really cold temperatures, but there's no snow that comes with it, and so these plants that are, have come up are suddenly very, very vulnerable. If we had if we had a couple of inches or three or four inches of snow, I, I would be saying, eh, who cares? Um, but some some things will get zapped uh, by just having the cold without the snow. Yeah, I think I think one thing I'll do, Mike, um, back on what the uh, subsoil temperature is. I know that and uh, does that. Um, I don't. It, it probably won't be posted until tomorrow. But, but I would not be surprised if we probably got 
temperatures down to like below freezing, about three or four inches below the ground. And we'll wow. see what type of an impact that has. But one of the good things I think about this late season cold outbreak um, is that you can get uh, a lot of lake effect snow and a lot of lake effect clouds, and that'll drop the level of the lakes. I would not be surprised if, because I did post lake levels in this report, yeah. I would not be surprised if our lake levels drop another three or four inches um, due to the fact that we've been so cold, not so cold, but pretty cold these last two days. And alone, that will take you know a couple of inches, not only with the cloud cover, uh, but also with the snow as well. So again, this month, it's really weird. Uh, we had snow on Friday. We had snow on Saturday. Um, so I think that goes down to seven days of observed snow in, the, in during the course of the month. It, it shows you the increased variability in the month of March where you can have more warm days, but yet every once in a while, a real cold days with also some snow as well. Um, and again, you know, what type of, you know, what, what does that do from a standpoint of things that are trying to come up out of the ground that are growing? You know, people don't realize it, but the snowiest month of the year for Marquette, believe it or not, is the month of March. And they had almost wow. a foot of snow last week. Yeah, because most of it, you can you get these big storms that that develop uh, these large areas of precipitation that still can, could snow is. And then you get your lake effect snow. And as you see here, this thing basically stalled. Uh, Mike and Peg, I was looking at the webcam out of uh, Northern Michigan University the other day. This was just on Wednesday. Uh, people with snowmobiling, and that's that. Uh, that's up in the Houghton area, or where? Yeah, up in the Houghton area, they were snowmobiling uh, because there's a lot of snow on the ground. Uh, even though Southern Wisconsin had worst snowmobiling seasons in a long time, uh, uh, completely different up there. So again, last year they had about 90 inches of snow. This year they're doubled it, and they'll probably get another 20 and 30 on on top of that. So much, much. Um, um, beneficial rain across mm-hmm. northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin where they don't need the rain in southern and central Illinois, they're going to get more of it. So again, flooding rains down there. Again, still a little bit too early to see whether or not this is going to have an impact on agriculture because uh, they're not yet planting, but they've gotten some good dry days. So they've been in the fields quite a bit. But I think next week we'll start talking about planting days subsoil moisture and subsoil temperatures as we begin to get into the growing season. Uh, but the good thing is that um, the pattern, while it looks cold, um, it's hard to get really, really cold temperatures below three inches in the ground when you got a lot of moisture. So to get to, the, to, really, to really freeze the ground, you got to evaporate the moisture. And once you get a ground that's saturated, we're not going to freeze it. So the water acts like a little bit of a buffer. I know you were talking before about the snow being a buffer on the top, but once you get that ground pretty wet, um, it's hard to freeze it. So um, again, good moisture coming our way. And that's something that that's, that's good to talk about. So when is it going to get to a point where just due to the sun energy and it being April, that it can't be that cold. (laughs) But Um, but just from from the sun's intensity, when does it get to the point where we, it's just really difficult to be in the 20s or 30s if the sun's out. Yeah, and if you look at where it's getting cold, it, it, we've been getting these cold shots basically from like, like Minnesota, central Iowa, eastward. 
So this is basically the result of it being really cold for the last two months across Hudson's Bay, um, James Bay, and Northern Lake Superior, because Lake Superior still got quite a bit of ice on it. And one of the things I also put in my report is uh, Lake Michigan, on average, is about one one and a half degrees cooler uh, than it typically yeah. is this time of the year. I, I still don't think the sun's energy has enough yet, um, but I think the question has an answer that is probably like it'll still be another month. Um, so even though we're going into April, you know we've had some days where we've had cold weather in April. Um, oh yeah. But the pattern oh, yeah. that the pattern is just one now that it's getting, it looks like it gets really warm out west. And if it gets warm out west, because the great family are cooler this time of the year, um, and it can easily be in that bridge trough pattern sometime even into the first week of May. Are you done grading papers? Oh, I'm never done grading papers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Just just thought I'd, just thought I'd ask. All right. I'm clean my bed head. <laughs> we love the bedhead. All right, Rick, uh, have a great week. Let's let's we're we're soon it will be May and we might actually get warm weather at some point. And wouldn't that be nice? Yep. Take care, guys. All right, you too. Good one. That sort of wraps it up overtime as always. Uh so let's just thank the people who are on the show today. Bob Benenson from Local Food Forum. Uh go to localfoodforum.substack.com. Uh, Emily Murphy, who is the author of Product Placement. Here we go. Grow now. And you can find all that information on uh, our website. Uh, Thanks to meteorologist Rick DeMille. Thanks to Kathleen running around like crazy, as always. Thanks to Basil the dog, Legata the cat. I think all of our viewers. All of our viewers. Thank you guys for sticking around. I'm going to fix I'm going to fix Rick's sound. Okay, (laughs) believe me, I'm going to do it. It's time to do it. Until next time, go green or go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 